welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast that shares interviews with experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about their work, programs, and research, and what they're like as people too. I'm your host, Ben Rush. Listening to this podcast gives you a sneak peek of an upcoming longer talk by each guest. Our guest today, Sterling Johnson, will give a talk called The Latest Research, Wisconsin Registry for Alzheimer's Prevention on June 28th at noon Central Time virtually. A link to the virtual talk, as well as past and upcoming talks, is in the show notes. So, let's get into the interview with Sterling Johnson. Hi, Sterling. Thanks for joining me on the Badger Talks podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Great. Well, thanks for being on here. Uh, from one biomarker researcher to another, I'm, I'm excited to have you on here to geek out. And then also tell everyone else why it's so important the biomarkers that you're looking at within the context of Alzheimer's research. But let's go for the basics. Can you give us the names and pronouns you use, please? I am Sterling Johnson, and pronouns would be he and him. Any identities you'd like to highlight about yourself? I'm the father of uh, three boys. Um, I've been married for 30 years and just love uh, doing what I do, being a professor and and uh, uncovering new knowledge about the brain. Lovely, and that's exactly what I was going to go into next. So I was gonna ask your roles on campus. My roles on campus, I am a, I'm a professor in the Department of Medicine, and I'm the Associate Director in the Alzheimer's Research Center and in the Alzheimer's Institute, and I am the Principal Investigator of the Wisconsin Registry for Alzheimer's Prevention which is a longitudinal study that has been going on on campus now since 2001. Right. And I mean, you're doing it again. You're getting ahead of the questions. I was going to ask you, like, <laughs> in brief, uh, how might you explain your work to your family? But, you know, we can expand on that, too. So you have this longitudinal study that you're running. You're measuring people over now 20 years, getting their information. Is there something that you're looking at in particular in relation to Alzheimer's research? Yes, we are looking in the brain itself. And how do you look in the brain in a, in a living person who's functioning seemingly normal day to day? You have to use imaging. And so imaging is our main biomarker. We're looking at proteins in the brain that become abnormal and that may cause Alzheimer's disease. One of them is called amyloid and the other one is called tau. And these two proteins they clump together. Amyloid clumps with other amyloid proteins and causes a plaque called an amyloid plaque. And the tau proteins clump together to cause tangles, neurofibrillary tangles. And these plaques and tangles are the two proteins that seem to go bad in Alzheimer's disease. Fortunately, there's a way to, to look at these with brain scans. Neat. And I think the hope there is... If we can start to see these neurofibrillary tangles, these plaques, before symptoms start to occur, we can at least maybe get an intervention going. Absolutely right. Yeah. The, our study is called the Wisconsin Registry for Alzheimer's Prevention. Ultimately, that's what we want to do is prevent this disease. And in order to do that, we got to know who has it. And in addition to, to learning who has the plaques and the tangles with imaging, we're trying to figure out what the genetics are that, that might be correlated with, with these things. 
or any health and lifestyle patterns and behaviors that, that may cause these proteins to, to go awry in the brain. And I think I also want to just take a little minute to appreciate how much work goes into a longitudinal study like this, because we've mentioned it's 20 years. I think I also read that there's been over 1,700 participants who are followed up every two years. And I've done a study that's 30 people, and that's quite laborious. So, I mean, I, I think it's hard sometimes to appreciate how much effort goes into it. Uh, so kudos for being able to, I mean, you, you're carrying it on from like a generation of scientists to the next, which is pretty cool. But also because it's such this massive amount of data, one of the leading studies for Alzheimer's research too. I, I think so. And I, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's, there's, there's uh, so much that goes into this and it's an extraordinary staff. And most of all, extraordinary participants who are dedicated to this enterprise and come in every couple of years and allow us to do all these tests with them, even though they're not very pleasant tests to, 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 to have, um, especially knowing what they know that uh, many of these people had a parent who had Alzheimer's disease. And these are now the adult children. They've seen this disease up close and personal. And, and many of our participants are worried that they themselves will get it. And that's what motivates them to be in the study is to, um, uh, to, to, so that we can understand this disease before those symptoms begin so that they or that the next generation can um, avoid the same plight that happened to their parents. And another thing you mentioned about generation reminded me um, that I, I just really want to make sure to give credit to Dr. Mark Sager, who started this study back in 2001. And uh, he, he really got it going and uh, made it what it is today. I took over in 2014 uh, when Dr. Sega retired. And uh, with, with that, with that change, we, we really did add a lot more of these biomarkers, not only because um, we, we thought the study could benefit from them, but also because those biomarkers didn't exist back in 2001 when we started this study. But the, the technology has improved. The, uh, the imaging has come to a point where we can now image these plaques and tangles and see uh, with, a, with a pretty precise point of view when these plaques and tangles start in the brain, how fast they're developing, and how long they might appear before the symptoms do, which is extraordinary. Are there other findings that you, through your time on this projects that you found are relatively surprising? The biggest one that comes to mind is the idea that we can pinpoint a starting time point of, of when this disease began. And yeah, we've known in our field, and it's a really important point, that this disease begins many years, if not decades, before the symptoms do. But how do you estimate that at the level of a single person, of an individual? We've been able to do that through these brain scans. And that is so exciting because the only way we'll be able to study resilience or protection or um, prevention is to know, is to have that anchor point, that reference point of when did this disease start for this person? Did it start at age 50? Did it start at age 70? And how long before the symptoms will this person 
uh, um, live and thrive. And uh, that's where we're at now is is defining what that preclinical window is going to be. But this is all anchored to the idea of assigning or estimating the, the age of onset of these amyloid plaques uh, for a specific individual. And that's that's an incredible thing to be able to do. Has your work changed your behavior approach to aging? My work has changed that. And it's and again, it has to do with this idea of looking at amyloid onset age. We've seen that it, it can begin as early as the mid-40s, but it can happen anytime between age 40 and 90 or, or beyond. We haven't studied people beyond that age, but it can happen at any time that these proteins can set in. And the question for our whole field has been, what is it about the way we live our lives, our, our lifestyle, our health, our, our control of diabetes, our control of blood pressure, how much exercise are we getting? How much coffee do we drink? You can see, you see all these things in the media every day about some lifestyle or health factor being involved in Alzheimer's disease. We've been able to study this and we're, we don't have answers. We don't have clear answers at least yet. But I think what we are learning is that the healthier our lifestyle and health, the healthier our brain is going to be. I don't necessarily think it's going to slow down the plaques and the tangles if someone is destined to get those. But I think it is going to slow down and extend, actually, that preclinical window. It's going to give them a bigger buffer, uh, more brain power to work with, so to speak, so that the brain can tolerate more of these lesions for longer. And um, anyway, it's I've, I've thought about that in my own life. I don't get enough sleep. <laughs> I don't... Uh, I don't necessarily um, get the amount of uh, exercise I need to get all the time. And I, I have a direct uh, reminder on a daily basis of why I need to be doing that. Well, I think it's also, I imagine, a bit comforting to listeners to, to know that sometimes experts also can't get to the perfect, ideal, healthy lifestyle because it is, you know, difficult in the modern times. But, you know, perhaps we can choose what best suits our lifestyle. And, you know, there could be a lot of different things that can help contribute to overall aging health. And we can choose the ones that might suit our lifestyle best. My, my absolute last question for you, if you are done with work, what is a hobby or something you like to do after hours? Oh my gosh. I would love to get back to playing my guitar again and mowing my lawn. <laughs> those, those two things. <laughs> I love being out in the yard and I, I love uh, playing guitar. So I would love to be put out of business. We got to find a, a cure for this disease. It's so um, it's so urgent. Uh, and I, we're in a good place, I think, in our field because there are drugs now that are that are um, still experimental, but there are drugs that are showing that they can remove these plaques from the brain. And uh, it's just an exciting time to be here where we have not only the tools to detect it and to see when it started, but now potentially drugs that can, that can remove these plaques and um, potentially uh, disrupt that whole cascade of, of Alzheimer's disease where the plaques um, instigate the tangles and those instigate the, the cell loss and eventual cognitive decline. If we can stop this disease before we get to that point, that would be extraordinary. And I think that's one thing that RAP is really 
poised to help our field do over the next few years. I will be following that. If you're mentioning some of the physiological evidence, symptomology can uh, come up in 40s. Not too far off. <laughs> I'm just, you know, interviewing you to get my own gains here. <laughs> well, Sterling, thanks for being on the podcast. Um, I hope you have a great weekend. It's Friday. Maybe you can squeeze in some guitar. Uh, no matter what, uh, thanks for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Badger Talks podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And if you want to catch more of Sterling Johnson, check out his talk on June 28th at noon central time. The link to his upcoming talk and talks by other University of Wisconsin-Madison experts is in the show notes. Until next time, be well. The Badger Talks podcast is a creation by the UW Connects and Deeper Than Data Media. Music composed by Bill Purdy and played by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Marching Band. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Deeper Than Data Media. The podcast is recorded and edited. Recorded it? Edited it, 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 and produced it, it by Deeper Than Data Media. Did.